This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 and also a retiree. Uh, This is our weekly podcast, the uh, NTEU Chapter 49 podcast. And as always, I am joined by Duncan Giles on this. It's a fine summer day, but a pleasant day. So it's good to talk to you, Duncan. Good to be here. And I, you know, ensconced in my office, I couldn't tell you if it was a great day or a hurricane outside. I have been in your office and is it is a windowless office. So if you think that the management is giving uh, a chapter president a, a wonderful office, no. <laughs> it's an office. It's a nice place to work. It has enough space. But uh, I think uh, we've had two or three different union office locations in that Mittenhart Capehart Federal Building. Uh, in the, since the offices began in the 80s, and I don't think we've ever had a window. Well, in the last restack, they did offer uh, to put us on a window, but I said, no, managers shouldn't be on windows because they have walled offices. We shouldn't be on windows because we don't have a walled office. Let the employees have the windows and the, uh, the open lighting. Well, I'm not against that, but I, I have a quick story. I think this is funny. When I was the my in the, in the six years that you said I was on the dark side, I actually had more light than <laughs> usual because I, even though that was the policy then, uh, they had something called the Model Taxpayer Assistance Center, which had a specific design. And to fit that specific design, I needed a window in my office. And I was like the only manager on that floor, probably in the building, that had one a beautiful view of that park across the street from the federal building. And I thought it was hilarious that nobody in that management team on that floor where I worked spoke to me for a year. <laughs> yeah, that does not surprise me in the least. There were an awful lot of grumblings from a lot of managers who came to me and said, we, you know, we should have, you know, we should be in windows. And I'm like, no, that would block the natural sunlight. Nobody should be with a wall on a window. That's the way it should be. Yes, I, I remember when I was uh, working in toll-free, and this, this goes back a lot of years, the service actually did bring in a psychologist. I can't believe this, but it happened. To and The only reason I know this is because he sat and, and watched me work for about two or three hours. And he did that with several people. And he came back with the report. And we were in a, by the way, just so you know, at that time, toll-free, most of it was in a windowless area. Uh, he basically came back to the management and said, this job is highly stressful. You've got to give these people natural light. You have to give them uh, windows. And I'll give uh, management credit. They moved in that direction after getting that report. But uh, I find that that's always interesting. You, you have to have some windowless offices in a building designed like the Minton Cape Park building in uh, downtown Indy. It's just uh, the way it is. Speaking of management officials, going back <laughs> a couple, three weeks ago, we uh, mentioned that Duncan had had a conversation with a rather highly placed management official, invited that gentleman to be on one of our podcasts, and his initial reaction was, hey, sure, I've listened to your podcast. I wouldn't mind being on it. You guys are pretty would be fair with me, and we'd be fair with our guests. And so he went up the, the tree, the management tree or pole, if you want to call it that, to try to get permission. And so the answer came back 
was it today or yesterday? So what was the answer that that management official got back on appearing on our podcast? Uh, the management official who would still have loved to have been on the podcast said that he was told in no uncertain terms that unless the uh, uh, powers that be could see a script beforehand and approve it, that the, he could not appear on the podcast. So apparently, uh, as you and I discussed, none of these powers that be have ever listened to this <laughs> podcast. That's true because they had they know we never have a script. We might have a few little notes here and there with a few words, but we don't have a script. Yeah, I was going to say we're lucky if we have an outline. <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> we don't even talk about the opening. We just kind of say what's on our minds. So, uh, yeah. So that was a, that was a strikeout. Uh, so we're not going to be able to do that. Maybe there'll be a change of heart at some point in the future, but. Uh, I think that was just, a, I, to be honest with you, uh, I, I really think that was just another way of saying no. But. Exactly. And you take a look at it. You know, we've had the NTU, you know, the top two NTU officials, President Tony Reardon, Vice President Jim Bailey on here. No preconditions whatsoever. They're like, hey, fire at us whatever you want to fire at us. We'll be happy to discuss it. Yeah, we should but say that, uh, that, you know, I mean, I know there are some of these kinds of podcasts that are scripted and, and, and some things are off limits. With you and I, nothing's off limits. We'll talk about anything and uh, we're not afraid to bring up any issue. And I will, yeah, I, I have to, you know, second that that uh, that motion you just made because Jim Bailey and Tony Reardon agreed to be on this program and they had no idea what questions we were going to ask. They just they just said, let us just go ahead and ask us questions. And we would be the same way with a management official. That's something important to say to employees. So uh, we'll leave it at that. And maybe there'll be a change of heart at some point. But I, I, I still stand on those uh, five reasons that, you know, managers should appear on the podcast. So we'll leave it at that. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about serious stuff, and and there are some a number of things that are going on. I would like to start off with uh, the fact that every year, it, it's a huge battle for, with the IRS budget. It just is, uh, and it doesn't seem to matter, you know, who the president is or who is in charge of Congress. It certainly. Um, has a difference in, in the in the tone and, and and how things get started and and the discussion that ensues, and sometimes it does have an impact on the final result. But the the House of Representatives, which is the uh, body that is empowered under the Constitution to start the budget process, is working on the IRS budget. So tell us what you can about that. Well, at this point, it looks like that it's going to be uh, if this were to sail through because <laughs> everything in Congress does, um, that it would be much better for the IRS um, than in uh, the last couple of years. We would, would we be funded as much as we need to be funded? Absolutely not, but it would be an improvement. And that's one of the things that always blows my mind. IRS is a very convenient um, you know, place to kick, but why you wouldn't fund your top moneymaker, because the more you invest, the more you would make, it always boggles my mind. Well, I think this goes back, and I'll just give you my view, and you're welcome to react to it, because I've been watching this for a long time. 
I think this goes back to the 1990s. There was a certain group of Congress trying to disrupt Congress, and they were successful. They they uh, rose to power in Congress in, in, in uh, 1995. And one of their precepts was they wanted to change the tax system. They wanted to go to a, you know, a national sales tax or some kind of flat tax, even though they're different taxation systems. They kind of do the same thing from different directions. If you study tax, you'll see that. And I, I think that this attack on the IRS strategy began at that time. This group of people that wanted to attack the Internal Revenue Service as a way of trying to change the tax system. And then I always thought it was hilarious. There were certain politicians, and I hate to say it, Richard Luger was one of them, who thought that uh, the IRS should be abolished. I, uh, I read a lot of tax professionals that did at that time, certainly, and a little bit now, in, in terms of, of, of tax administration and the people who are at the very highest levels of studying these things. And they said the only way you could actually abolish the IRS is to change the name. <laughs> You're always going to have to have an IRS-like agency. I don't care what kind of tax system you have. Because sales taxes, are you know, they are not simple systems. I have talked to people in, in Indiana, for example, who administer the sales tax in Indiana. And, man, that's a very complex tax. It's just dealt with by the business community. So with all that in mind, I think it goes back to that. I think it's stuck, and I think it's a good fundraiser. Um, in fundraising letters, people use that if you're on a certain side of the political spectrum. Um, so I think that this, these attacks on the IRS, I actually think, have, have lessened. And one reason I think they've lessened, and I'd, I'd kind of like your view on this, is that when those $1,200 checks came out, or a little less for some people, most of, for most people it was $1,200, uh, even with COVID-19, even with a large part of the IRS staff unable to come to work, IRS found a way to get most of those checks out. So I think that may have lessened uh, the vitriol as far as IRS is concerned. I'm curious about what your view is on that. I think that definitely helped the uh, the EIP payments, uh, you know, put the IRS in definitely a better light because our employees through this whole pandemic have just been outstanding. As a matter of fact, you know, everybody in the Department of Treasury has done a hell of a job in extremely trying circumstances, the vast majority working from home, but others having to work in service centers in sometimes not great conditions to get what needs to be done. And they're just now starting to chip away at backlogs of correspondence and you know, you've heard the conspiracy that, well, you know, we don't have change. And that's because, you know, the big government or whatever world organization is taking over wants us to go cashless. No, it's because there was nobody at the U.S. Mint to make the freaking coins. They were all working from home. Yes, I remember the, uh, the, the coin shortage where certain businesses are <laughs> refusing to make change and that kind of Yeah, it has nothing to do with the conspiracy, but you have to manufacture <laughs> coins. They don't come out of the blue, you know, they don't come out of thin air. Yeah, so I mean, it's just, it's things like that that um, are just interesting. But no, I, I do think that there has been over time a realization that, yeah, you can continue to kick the IRS for... Uh, public relations or fundraising reasons, but these are the people that are working their asses off to make sure that the money comes in, to make sure that audits are done properly, to make sure that questions are answered, because if those questions don't get answered, 
they start ringing their congressional offices to ask why they're not. Uh, yeah, I you know, in my IRS career, I had a few of those uh, references sent to me, you know, when they were technical issues with the job I had at the time. So, And, and most of them come through the Taxpayer Advocate Office, which is bombarded at the moment in trying to, to, to get themselves out of a deep hole. So there really is difficult. It's difficult to find somebody to help you wherever you go in the service just because of, of the nature of the workload, which expanded because of COVID. And also just uh, if you just take a look at, at the work that, that has to be done and, and at the regular work and not re- related to that, that is also piled up. And that makes for a nice transition because you know something, Duncan, something that's being discussed now, and I understand that there's actually an agreement between the the parties in Congress and with the White House on the fact that everybody agrees we're going to, as a government, are going to be sending out another round of $1,200 checks. They're disagreeing on a lot of other things, unemployment amounts and funding of local governments and schools. So there's a lot of disagreement in these talks that are going on uh, about the budget, uh, not about the budget, but about coronavirus support. And I find it interesting that one note of agreement is let's send out another round of checks. And one reason that, that there's agreement is because the IRS has shown they can they can do this. Yeah. I mean, when you had the big discussion about, well, you know, how many how many uh, millions of dollars that are going out to people that have passed away? Okay, A, that was an extremely, extremely small percentage, like less than 1%, way less than 1%. And B, we've effectively gotten the vast majority of that money back. So the IRS has shown it's very effective in being able to um, to deal with this, that part of the stimulus to get checks out to folks who desperately need it. And, and related to all that, these talks, as we as we record this in the afternoon of August the 6th, there are still talks amongst the two parties, the two houses and parties in Congress, leaders of the Senate and the House. There's a White House a chief of staff and the Treasury Secretary all involved in these talks. And it's all about coronavirus, as I mentioned before. But federal employees definitely have a stake in this. Talk about what you know in that regard. Um, there are several things going on and it's, it's one of those, uh, until I start to see something, uh, that's ironed out in an agreement of the parties, I don't want to get, uh, anybody's hopes built up, but things like, you know, use or lose leave. Uh, just to give an example, I haven't taken a day of leave this year. And one of the things, and I know a lot of people are in that same boat because a, where do you do and where do you go? One of the things that's being discussed is, okay, can we roll more over uh, than the 240? Things of that nature. So there are a lot of different things in play, but right now we just don't know what the parties are going to end up agreeing on because they're so far apart on so many different issues. Like you said, they agree on the 1200, but so many other moving parts of this, we just don't know where it'll end up. Hey, Duncan, I have to say this. You're probably the one one man I know in the United States of America most in need of a vacation. (laughs) I'm waiting for a reaction on that. All I I got was a laugh. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you. Ha- I mean, you've been working your tail off for people all around the state, so uh, I think somebody needs to say that because I'm in contact with you on a regular basis, and you brief me on what you're doing, and uh, I hope you do see fit to take time off at some point, just relax a little bit. But that's my editorial opinion. And the reason I asked you what the issues are is because uh, one thing I would recommend people do as these negotiators are speaking, they're listening to their own members. People in the Senate are listening to their fellow senators. Leaders in the House are are obviously listening in, uh, to their own members within each caucus. Would you recommend that uh, people in Indiana contact their senators and representatives and nothing else, just give the message that Federal employees want to be a part of this uh, and hope that uh, we're not forgotten in these talks. I, I absolutely would. I would always recommend that folks reach out to their uh, their congressperson or their senators, wherever they're located across the United States, because they, you know, these aides may just take a tack, uh, ticky-tack form and, okay, they're for this or they're against this, but those add up and they do listen. And it's very, very easy at the NTU website, www.ntu.org, to go in and send an email or uh, do a phone call to your representative, to your senator, to let them know how you feel on issues that impact you as a federal employee. Yes, that's a very easy thing to use. NTU.org is the website, and go to the legislative area, and uh, you'll quickly be able to find that that section of uh, the website uh, where you can contact your senators and representatives they'll they'll send they'll give you the option of sending a form email or you can you can write your own and send it you have lots of choices in there so just remind your elected representatives that uh, you are somebody that should be considered whether it be leave issues or some other issues that are involved you know, plus the fact ahead, that please. the form letters that you get back can be highly amusing because it may have nothing to do with what you sent, but at least they're responding to it. I actually sent, I won't say who it was, years ago I sent a, a letter, I think it was, a written letter to uh, one of our senators who's no longer serving, and it was about a federal employee issue. I got a response back saying, thank you for contacting me about skiing in Alaska. Skiing rights in Alaska, so yeah, they get their uh, get their signals uh, confused at times. And well, uh, just be prepared for whatever you get in response. So again, just uh, be aware of that. Uh, we'll uh, once. Uh, by the way, I will say this right now: uh, it does not. We try very much to make this a weekly podcast. However, next week we uh, may not have a podcast. In fact, we probably won't because the producer has other responsibilities, but uh, we'll talk more about that when we come back, hopefully in a couple of weeks. That would be my guess at this time with our next podcast. But I want to move on to uh, to another issue. You know, I, I've been around NTU for, you know, and, and management, all these, I've been dealing with union officials and, and union issues going back to the ni- late 1980s. And sometimes you, you see why did NTEU even need to file this formal grievance. I saw a a message that you shared with me, which I just have to bring up, because there have been situations where employees have had to, in order to do their duties, in order to be involved in a meeting they're required to be in, or make a contact they're required to make, 
employees have been required to use non-toll-free numbers. And some of these employees, I mean, a lot of these cell phones and other phone packages do include, uh, you know, a long distance as part of the deal, but a lot of them don't. So you're paying an extra fee just to do your job. And apparently the IRS, based on what we were seeing, refused to reimburse you what you had to make these phone calls using your own phone and and paying those tolls for the non-toll-free number in order to just basically get your work done or be in a meeting you had to, to, to be in attendance. And uh, I find it amazing that NTEU even had to file that, but it recently has been taken care of. Tell me more about that, Duncan. Yeah, that's just one of those things, like you said, Sometimes I really get amazed at things that have to be filed or negotiated over that should be literally no-brainers. This one, for instance, um, yeah, we've traditionally used a toll-free number for meetings, audio conferences, things of that nature. The service discovered that if they used a 312 area code number, that it would cost much less for them to do it than a toll-free, so they went out to everyone doing that. As you said, not everyone has a long distance phone number to do that. So instead of giving the option, some managers were saying, okay, you need to call the 312 area code number to get in on the conference call. And it was costing employees money. And when this was brought up, it it sort of blew IRS's minds because they couldn't comprehend not everybody, like you said, having a long distance part of their aspect was part of their phone package. Yeah, so finally that did get taken care of. And actually it was the filing of the grievance. And once management found out that was really going on, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. And it was settled right there. They just started paying it. I just, I just find that amazing. Uh, but let me just ask about that because that, that brings up an issue I, I want to ask about because I have run across this many times as well where – the top management of IRS will say, okay, this is how it's being done. And lo and behold, whatever the issue might be, it's not being done that way at the, at the level of the group manager. And I have actually run across situations, whether it be in management or as a union official, where the top management is convinced things are going to be being done one way. And in fact, we on the, on the ground floor doing things entirely differently. And there's a huge disconnect. How often does that happen in your experience? Well, I mean, sometimes people are being disingenuous, and I'm not going to, we can leave that aside for a moment where people are just acting like they don't know when they really do. But I know there are situations where the top management believes that things are being done one way when, in fact, NTU will show the IRS officials, sorry, that we have specific examples of here and here and here. They go and investigate and find out that what they thought was going on was not going on. How how much does that, I think, impact the, the kind of work you do on a daily basis? Way too freaking much. Um, it's exactly what you say. Once this kind of thing happens, you know, the top-level management at whatever part of the organization or at the commissioner or deputy commissioner level has an idea and they, okay, we want to do things this way. It gets interpreted down by, you know, then lower level managers saying, well, if I do this this way or if I do it better, I'm going to look better 
to those above me because I'm going to close more cases or I'm going to do this or have more calls answered, whatever the case may be. And it's not the intent of upper level management. And when we bring this either local here in Indiana or national, the first thing IRS says is, can you give me some examples? Okay, you think we're making this up? Not a problem. Here are the examples. And the vast majority of time, the high-level executives' response to this is, oh, for God's sakes, why are management, why are management at this level doing this? Because that wasn't the intent. So it's almost like we have to point out their own foibles to them because they're not drilling down enough to make sure what they're asking their folks to do is, is being done correctly. One thing that we uh, talked about with uh, Jim Bailey, the number two person in the NTU organization nationally, uh, we talked to him, and you've brought this up many times during our past podcast. You're concerned about the people on weather and safety leave who have self-certified that they are not able to come to work because uh, of their age or their medical condition or combination of both. Um I know you brought this up, but I asked Jim Bailey how long weather and safety leave would continue. He said, as far as he's concerned, until we get a vaccine. In other words, it's safe for these people to come back to work. They should stay on weather and safety leave, although he clearly admitted that when that was negotiated into the contract, they were looking at like long-term types of uh, weather-related things, like a tornado that wipes an office out and it takes time to get it relocated, or maybe people's homes are wiped out, they need temporary housing. They were thinking of something along those lines, what might be weeks, maybe a month or two at the most, and nobody envisioned a pandemic when that contract provision was negotiated, although it clearly fits the situation we're in now. Obviously, NTEU feels that way. Do you think the management is going to feel that way? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. That was a serious question. That was a serious um, question, bud. Here it is. And, and I, I wasn't surprised <laughs> to get a little laughter at the end of it. But uh, I think the one right. thing I took from that is that uh, the national unions very going to be very, 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 they're going to push very hard on behalf of employees' health. So how's the management, you think, they're under pressure too, as he admitted, because they need to get the work done and have it 8% of your or so of, of your workforce on weather and safety leave it does make that more difficult. So what, what do you think at this point after hearing what Jim had to say, what the management's been saying, and they, they haven't said they're going to uh, you know, change the situation and, and cancel weather and safety leave. I think they know NTU's going to fight them on this. Uh, tell me what you think the general... Um, lay of the land is on that right now? Well, first off, Jim's response is exactly the response that national and every local out there chapter has, that we don't want our employees going back into any sort of unsafe condition if they're at all at risk, a higher risk for catching COVID. That being said, I can tell you right now, the IRS in the uh, twice weekly meetings that they have with NTU denies it. But they are definitely planning to recall some, if not all, folks on weather and safety leave. How soon that's going to occur, I don't know. And I've heard from employees a little bit in Indiana and some from across the country who say, well, my manager tells me that weather and safety leave is going to end now or this or that. And I tell them nobody knows right now because there are very few people that know when WSL is going to end. But the fact that they are starting to look at they're changing their frequently asked questions as of the end of July 
uh, on whether they can still self-certify and just by saying it. When they when NTU questioned on that, they said, oh, yeah, that's still the intent. Well, that's not the way the FAQs read anymore. They're putting in uh, partitions into interview rooms and posted duties. They're starting to have people come in and do the mail. Right now, those that are high risk are excluded from that. But I could see down the road where they have been recalled. And I've talked to some managers who have dropped hints that have said, you know, that weather and safety leave looks to be something that they may be uh, dealing with sooner rather than later. So I do think, like you said, that there's going to be a battle coming up between NTU and IRS because basically saying, oh, well, if they catch something at work, they can just file a workman's comp claim. That's not going to cut it. Well, no, and I, I think based on Jim Bailey's comment, the National Union will not tolerate that, and there will be legal action, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Because in, in, the, in the view of NTU, there's very clear contract language here that, that needs to be enforced. So that, uh, that would – but if the managers are telling their employees that and you're picking up on that, uh, they're hearing it somewhere. They're telling NTU yeah, exactly. one thing. That's, yeah, they're that's, telling NTU one thing nationally, but their management chain is talking in a different way. It's sort of like when they said, oh, no, we're not opening up the uh, the service centers. We don't have any dates on that. And we kept giving them the dates that we're hearing. Oh, no, we don't know that. We don't know that. Three days later, okay, we're going to open the service centers up, and it's going to be on these dates. And it were the same dates that we were hearing. Yeah, so you, it's not like we, we were deaf and dumb on these things. We, we, are, <laughs> we have eyes, we have ears, and we, are, we're, uh, we, we kind of had a, a feeling of what's, what's going on. All right, we're about out of time, Duncan. Uh, anything you would like to add? Any reminders for our uh, the people listening, or just uh, just anything you want to bring up before we wrap this up? Just you know, this this virus that's out there, this COVID nineteen, is still very, very, very serious. Please take all precautions you can. I was notified that uh, I had to meet with an employee and a manager, and the employee I found out. The employee, apparently, after they had had that meeting later that day, came into contact with somebody who had COVID-19. So they're getting tested and waiting for their test. So, you know, even though I do all the right things, I still may have to end up getting a test to make sure that I don't have it. I don't have any symptoms, but you just never know. But I urge everybody to please wear a mask. Hopefully you're enjoying the masks that we've sent out, that you wash your hands frequently and that you socially distance and just take care of yourself and your family. And since we are an Indiana union, let's just remind people of two things. Number one, the numbers all throughout Indiana are scary. They're still too high. And also think about the fact that the Indianapolis 500 uh, has gone from having 50% uh, attendance to 25% attendance, now to zero fans in attendance. And even the... uh, well, and we'll get into all that, but it's just a matter of it's going to be very few people in that those grounds. That's going to be a very strange event with no fans. And the reason there are no fans is because of the fact that the Indianapolis area is seeing a very high volume of positive cases. So it's very important you take care of yourself. Work from home if you can. If you must go in the office, take every precaution you can. And make sure you're letting NTEU know of anything that just doesn't look right. How's that for uh, advice? That's absolutely on point. Okay. Duncan Giles, thank you very much. Uh, We should be back in a couple of weeks. And I'm sure 
As always, with being on two weeks rather than one, we'll have plenty to talk about. We hope it's good news, but if not, we will let you know where things stand. So, Duncan Joss, thank you once again for joining me. This is the Chapter 49 podcast for August the 6th of 2020. Uh, please be careful out there, and we'll, we'll be back in two weeks.